Well, good morning. God is, is faithful. Yes, he is. He's a good God, and it was an amazing time singing and worshiping Him just now. Um, you know, in preparing for this message, I, I've been thinking a lot about um, how much more uh, that we can accomplish when we work together, right? I've been thinking about teams. I've been thinking about the fellowships, obviously. And, you know, we, we can, our imagination is captured by, by teams and, and, and the, these fellowships and what they've accomplished. I mean, think about just uh, in our culture here locally, the, the basketball culture. I mean, I think about UK uh, basketballs, 1991-92, uh, the Unforgettables. Right? I mean, they were an amazing team. If you're a UofL fan, you can think back to the first 1980 championship team. Um, just still captures our imagination. If you think about uh, arts or literature or, or fantasy or entertainment, I mean, you think all the way back to King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. You think about the, 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 the team, the ensemble and Star Wars. There's all kinds of debates right now about which is the best Avengers movie since Spider-Man's come out. Um, the Lord of the Rings, you know, we've talked about that a lot. But it's not just literature or sports. I mean, if you look at history, I mean, you think back to 1969 and the Apollo 11 uh, mission where um, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first two people to set foot on the moon. But they got all the glory. But uh, pe what people don't realize is there were over 300,000 men and women from engineers to janitors that were part of that team. It was amazing. Uh, one of my favorite movies that show the power of fellowship is the movie Glory. Glory depicts the true story of African Americans, including ex-slaves, that went on to be part of the famed 54th Massachusetts Regiment, which was the first all-black infantry regiment to see battle in the Civil War. The 54th led the assault on Fort Wagner, just outside of Charleston, South Carolina, on July 18, 1863. And um, this attack was, was brutal, uh, and it was brief. When it was over, over half of the regiment was, uh, was killed and was there in the sands of the island. Uh, the commander, 26-year-old Robert Goldshaw, fell arm in arm with his men in that bloody battle for freedom. Now, the battle at Fort Wagner actually helped decide the outcome of the Civil War, and the battle of Fort Wagner also left no doubt about the ability of black soldiers to defend the Union cause. And as a result, some 180,000 black Americans eventually fought on the side of the Stars and the Stripes to help turn the tide toward freedom and victory. And it's an incredible story of courage, uh, of justice, of brotherhood. And, and it just shows, it illustrates that amazing things can be done even against the odds when we work together. Now, why, why do these fellowships or teams resonate with us so powerfully? Well, I think it's because we were created for fellowship. We were created for uh, a common cause and a purpose that is bigger than ourselves. And that's one of the reasons why the COVID pandemic has been so painful. And even before COVID lockdowns disrupted in-person church gatherings, there was already 
a questionable understanding of what it meant to be part of a church. I mean, as, as recently as 2018, Christians who described themselves as actually part and belonging to a local church averaged attendance 1.3 times a month. Now, one of the ways, one of the ways that we are made in the image of God is that we are relational yes. creatures. We were not simply created to appreciate community, but we are incomplete without it. We're made in the image of a relational God has, who has always existed eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were created for community. And one of the most horrific and demonic parts of the COVID pandemic has been the attack on this vital part of our humanity. Uh, I saw a study recently that said in 2021 and 2020, 2020 and 2021, it's estimated that the average American traded 300 hours of in-person time with friends, with church members and neighbors for 300 hours of social media, TV, and internet reading. Now think about that. That's two, over two years. That's 600 hours of flesh and blood, conversation, meals, encouragement, laughter, and tears that are gone. One pastor noted that in attempting to cure the COVID pandemic, the result has been to create a, a second pandemic of isolation and loneliness, loneliness that is less seen but just as devastating. Studies show that chronic loneliness damages heart health, immune system, sleep, and more. It, it, it aggravates uh, Alzheimer's symptoms, and lonely people statistically are more likely to die early. And unfortunately, it's very common for this feeling of loneliness to carry over into how we experience life as a Christian in the church sometimes. See, I have a feeling that there are some here today that don't have a single person that they could confide in. And it doesn't have to be that way. And I believe that God wants to change that today. Okay. So how do we recover from this pandemic of loneliness? Well, the answer is in Acts 2. And as Pastor Tim has said, God has not given New Life a specific theme or a specific word for 2022. Instead, he's given us a specific passage of Scripture, Acts 2.42, that's going to serve as our outline or our trellis this year. So if you have your Bibles, or you've probably memorized it by now, read with me uh, in Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, out of this passage come the four priorities for 2022 for New Life Church. The first few weeks, we've heard some amazing messages and focused our priority on the, the devotion to prayer. And today, we're going to look at how the early church was devoted to the fellowship. And I 
I've been very excited all week, and I'm very excited today because I believe God is doing, has been doing something special and new life around prayer, and I believe he's going to do something similar related to fellowship and our community. It's going to be great. And I, I have three goals for this message today. First is that we would change how we think about what it means to be the church. Second is that hope would be rekindled that you can personally experience the fellowship and the community that we see in Acts 2. And last, that you would be inspired to take action on getting more connected in fellowship. Okay? Can we do that? All right. So before we dive into the text, let's just quickly review some of the context. Uh, we know here, looking back in the beginning of, of chapter 2, is the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit where the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in, in languages, other tongues, uh, of the multitude of the nations that were in Jerusalem. And they, and they heard, what they heard was uh, the, the disciples declaring in their own language the mighty works of God. So we see here, the, the, the first is the power of the Holy Spirit. Next is the centrality of the Word. Peter then goes on to preach and explain from the Old Testament Scriptures and from their eyewitness testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls them to repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And we see here, early in the birth of the church, the, 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 the partnership and the harmony of both the Spirit and the Word, highlighting and pointing to Jesus. Acts 2.41 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added, to that, day, added that day about 3,000 souls. And just as we heard from Pastor Tim just a few moments ago, the most important thing to see right from the beginning is that this fellowship, both in the book of Acts and here at New Life Church today, is based and centered around King Jesus. Okay? It's all about Jesus. This is all for him. We exist for his glory. And this fellowship is about proclamation that Jesus is Lord and the gospel that Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we should have lived, and then he took all of our sin upon himself and died, uh, died the death that we should have died. He died in our place as the perfect sacrifice of sin, for sin. But he didn't stay dead, right? He rose victorious over sin, over the grave, over Satan, and all who put their trust in him will live forever with him. And the curse is broken and all things are going to be restored and made new. That is the good news and that is the core of our fellowship. And everyone is invited to this fellowship. And this is a fellowship worth fighting for. Now, the word fellowship here is, is the word koinonia. It's the first time that this word is, is used in the Bible. And we've joked in this series that fellowship is sometimes, in our mind, because we have a fellowship hall, is seen as a, as, a, as a rectangular room where you go and you have old pastries and stale coffee. That's not what's going on here, right? Uh, koinonia, this fellowship means literally to, to share with 
and uh, with someone in something, it's very personal, it's very deep, it signals a very deep um, and, and life-giving commitment, if we can put it that way. So when we're talking about fellowship, we're not talking about something that is an add-on or a suggestion to the Christian life. It's absolutely essential. But what makes this Jesus-centered fellowship distinctive? If we want to look at the passage today, the complete passage, we're going to see uh, some specific things, three things in particular that we can see from the early church. I'm calling these the three marks of the fellowship of the king. And the first is they were a generous fellowship. Acts 2.44, all who and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, just as we noted in the context here from verse 41, these are the, the 3,000 brand new believers, these baby Christians who'd heard the gospel from Peter. They repented and were baptized. And the text says here in verse 44 that they were all together, right? And that, that means, like, literally, they were physically together. They were present in the details of each other's lives because being in the same spiritual family should affect how we live, right? And so they were uh, tangibly very close to each other. And the next thing says that they had all things in common here in verse 44. Um, now, that's, there's a strong connection to verse 45 about material possessions, but there's, there's more going on here with having all things in common. And, and Pastor Tim had mentioned this recently, that, that the elders and pastors... Uh, we pray for the service uh, every Sunday, and we intercede for, for you. Um, and and for, for many years, uh, Joe Vincent was one of our elders, and he would often uh, quote uh, verse 44 as a way to identify and share with what you guys are, are going through. And several years ago, I, I asked Joe about this. I actually emailed him. I said, hey, can you, can you expand a little bit on what, you, what, you're, what you're feeling when you, when you quote that, and this is what he said, uh, and, and it was in the context of, of losing his wife, Jean. He said, it's comforting to know that others value Jean uh, almost as much as I do and that they remember her fondly. And it, minister, it ministers to me when people tell me that. And he said, but too many times people don't want to open up about that because they think it will sadden me. Joe went on to say, quite the contrary, it helps to hear how much Jean meant to them and that they share in love for her. And this is one of our sharing all things in common. And then listen to this. Joe said, hearing about the challenges in others' lives frequently has me choking back tears as they tell me what they're going through. I don't want to ray from this. I welcome it. To mourn as others mourn and rejoice as others rejoice makes us more like Jesus. It can hurt sometimes, but it's worth it. And that's what we see in, in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12 says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And I believe this is what Luke has in mind when he writes all things in common. I talk to a lot of people who are going through loss and, and very, very difficult things. 
And, and I frequently hear, I don't know how people can make it through without the body of Christ. And if we didn't already know it, the last two years has shown us that these times of grief and suffering are coming for all of us. And we can't do it alone. We need each other. What would it mean to you if you had someone that you could call at all hours of the night and share your greatest pain or trauma and they listened with kindness and compassion and they were willing to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death until you were healed? See, I know for some people the despair is so bad that it literally can be the difference between life and death. And see, it, it's in these times uh, when your faith becomes more than just a set of doctrines. Because living in community is costly. I mean, let, let's be transparent about this. Let's, let's not sugarcoat this. There's a danger when you hear a message like this to say to yourself, well, I'm just going to try harder and I'm going to add some more meetings to my Google calendar. I'm going to color code them. No. This is blue-collar discipleship. Right? To really embrace a concept of fellowship where if your brother or sister is suffering, you are suffering. Or if they are honored, you rejoice. It means that our, our, our minds are renewed and our affections are reordered about what it means to live as the church. And see, what that means then is that we don't see church as a place that I attend but a family that I belong to. See, we're not just saved individually, but into a cosmic, eternal, multi-ethnic, multinational family of faith. That's so important for us to remember. And, and verse 45, moving on, gives us a, a practical, very practical example of what this looks like. Luke records, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any has need. Now, one of the key markers of fellowship, as we said, is it's costly. It, it, just by definition, it means that you're generous and that you're a giver. I mean, one of the most obvious uh, areas of, that we're talking about here is related to, to our, man, our money. Or, or let, let, me, let me rephrase that. God's money that we get to manage for a season. Right? It's not ours. Right? And it's clear that Luke is describing a, a, radically, a radical generosity here. This, this isn't state-enforced communism, but agape care that's generated in the hearts of believers. And then the Bible itself and the New Testament in particular has a lot to say about how to give generously. Jesus talks a lot about ministering and giving to the poor and how you manage the, your uh, possessions that he's entrusted to you. Um, Paul in Romans 12 talks about how to practice hospitality. It, it, 1 John 3 is a great text on this. It says, he writes, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now see, the Holy Spirit produces a love for God's people. That's what the gospel does. 
It transforms you, right? And, and, and that works out practically here at New Life Church. Part of your, your regular tithes and offerings goes to a, a benevolence fund that we have. And during the pandemic, we've been able to really help and minister to our, our church family who, who is hurting financially, right? You guys are demonstrating this in, in other ways too, in local missions. The outpouring of support for the Afghan refugees has been, been amazing. Uh, what you guys are doing uh, with, with hot dogs and homework and local outreach there is just amazing. And so living a generous life and taking care of your brothers and sisters is what it means to be a disciple. And that's very different from the friendship that was common in ancient cultures where friendship was based on reciprocity. Right? If, if there's a, a fellowship meal if there, or there's a party, I'm going to invite you only with the understanding that later you're going to invite me uh, to help me in the future, right? See, the early church went above and beyond and totally flipped this upside down, with the, which is the fulfillment of the law to love others as they love themselves with no strings attached, with no expectation of payback. But I want to make another application related to being a giver, and it's very costly for us, and that's the area of our time. See, t- time is a, is a finite resource. You can't, you can't save it for a rainy day, right? right? You, you can't go out and get a second job and, and make more time. It's the one precious resource where there's complete equality. We all have 24 hours in a day. And we have to admit and be honest that we make time for the things that are most important to us. And there's so much that God has for us, each of us in the context of community. And we will never experience the beauty and the power of fellowship until we can commit to spending time with each other. So first, the fellowship of the king is a generous fellowship. Next, it's a unified fellowship. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, together here in verse 46 is actually a different Greek word. And it's, it's to be understood as unity in heart, in mind, in soul, and mission. And for the church, it's all centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. I've mentioned this before. One of, one of the most unbiblical and destructive ideas out there that you hear quoted a lot is, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Right? And if you unpack the idea, what people mean is this. You'll hear people say, I love Jesus. He's, he's so loving. He's awesome. He's so forgiving. But the church, man, I can't stand the church's stance on dot, dot, dot issue, right? The church is so backwards, I can't stand to be around them. Now, on the, on the surface, it's meant to sound enlightened and, and very thoughtful, but it, it would be like someone coming up to me and saying, Kevin, man, you are so awesome. I really love you, but I can't stand your wife. <laughs> now, first, that's straight up rude. All right? And if you did that, we could get sideways pretty quick. Right? 
And she, she's my bride. Yes. And if you knew how much I loved her, you would never say that to me. So if you say to Jesus, so, so if you say I love Jesus, but I can't stand his church, I, I question, do, do you really love Jesus? Jesus was crucified. He died. He rose again. And he's coming back for his church. And the other thing is, is you don't love yourself because you're the church. I mean, the idea, this modern idea that it's just me and Jesus and we got our own thing, that's not biblical. Okay, it's wrong. Church is not a building. It's not a service or it's e even a set of doctrines. Church is a people. Yes. We are the new people of God. It's our identity. And that's why there's such a disconnect when we compare what we see in, with the church in the book of Acts. Right? See, my commitment and devotion to you have no connection to your political affiliation or where you stand on social issues. And I'm just going to say this. If you can only identify with Christians that look like you, or think like you, or vote like you, then I would submit to you that your unity is based on something other than Jesus Christ and his gospel. I'm committed to you as a brother or sister in Christ because we're in the same family. We have the same spiritual DNA. Ephesians 4, 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Amen. The unity of the fellowship in Acts 2 was centered on Jesus. And that must be true of us as well. Mm. Acts 2.46, they were, they were meeting together both in the temple and in homes. And in this unity, it works outwards. It says that they broke bread together and they shared meals. You know, another way that we experience this Jesus-centered fellowship is when we share meals together. And commentators have different opinions on what breaking of bread meant. Uh, it could have... Uh, uh, most likely referred to the, the common meals that were sh shared by the early disciples in their homes. Uh, but it could also refer to, to the Lord's Supper, or what we call communion in a more formal setting. These meals, what's called table fellowship, are very common in the New Testament, and especially in Luke and in Acts for, for celebrations. And, and Luke records 19 meals in his, in his uh, gospel. And here in verse 46, you get a sense that there was great joy and great intimacy among the church family, right? And there's something powerful that is released spiritually when we eat together. Right? Take a minute. Take a minute and think back to some of your most memorable celebrations. Was it, was it, what was so great about it? Was it, was it the food? My guess is that there was definitely great food there, but the memories are precious to you because of who was there and the reason for the gathering. Several, several years ago, to celebrate 
my ordination, Mike and Mary Sassy hosted a dinner party that without a doubt ranks as one of the most special nights of my life. There, there was an intimacy there. It was beautifully uh, decorated. And, and I was surrounded by some of the most amazing people I've ever known. And Becky and I got to spend time with the people who are mo most dear to us in a wonderful setting with great food. And we weren't just celebrating our, our friendships or, or even the ordination itself. God's presence was there. And it was a holy moment because we were celebrating what God had done in our lives. And one of the most amazing gifts that God gives to us in this life is our Christian relationships. They are eternal. And one of the best ways to encounter God's grace and His goodness is when we share a meal together. I mean, think back to the example of Jesus and his disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, 30 says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. There's something prophetic when we break bread together. So practically speaking, we encourage you to take advantage of every opportunity for fellowship. And today, if you're a visitor, please come to the gym, right? And take advantage uh, of every opportunity for fellowship. We're going to have lunch back there today. Uh, and that, that's why so many of our life groups have food as a prominent part of the meeting. If you're not connected, please talk to me about getting into a life group. And in fact, Charlie and Molly Hydes are going to be launching a new group soon in the J-Town area. So God's doing stuff in our fellowship, so the fellowship of the king is a, is a generous fellowship. Next, it's a unified fellowship. Last, it's a growing fellowship. Verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we close as we began. People being saved by the Lord adding to the church. Luke records that the believers here, were, they were praising and celebrating God and that his favor, that word there is grace in the Greek, his grace was upon them. And notice here in the verse that it's the Lord who builds the church. It was true then and it's true now. We're called to live in this kind of kingdom fellowship, to love and to care for one another and carry each other's burdens. And this is one of the means that the Lord uses to grow his church. H historians have long noted how the ethic of generosity and compassion towards their, enemy, towards their enemies fueled the growth of the early church. <clears throat> Peter Berger writes that in 252 AD, there was a devastating plague that had hit the city of Carthage. Healthy people fled in droves, leaving everything in behind. And the bishop, Cyprian, he drew all the Christians into the center of town where they had been persecuted. And this is what he told them. He said, if we're going to do what Jesus did, so that through his poverty we might become rich, I call you to give personal and financial aid, care and comfort to all according to their need, not their faith. They were loving their enemies. And about a century later, 
the Roman Emperor Julian, who was trying to, to revive and save his own pagan religion, he eventually acknowledged defeat, and he wrote a letter to a friend, and this is what he says, quote, whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity. These impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours also, welcoming them into their agape. As followers of Jesus Christ, this is our spiritual heritage, and this is our call. See, there are many competing perspectives in our world today around politics and taxes and economic policy. It's all fine and good, but if we're not careful, we may unintentionally assign to the government what was always the church's responsibility. So can I ask you, who have you welcomed into your agape recently? Our fellowship is meant to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to care for one another. But our, our fellowship has not reached its full potential if we don't reach those outside of our fellowship. <clears throat> In the Gospel of John, Jesus commanded, in John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As a community, we are called to live lives together that reflect God's goodness, His mercy, and grace in showing the world around us the saving and transforming power of Jesus Christ. In the, the book Total Church by Tim Chester and Steve Timmis, which is a great book about community, they make the argument that Christian community is essential to Christian mission. They say people are attracted to Christian community before they're attracted to the Christian message. We're called to live our lives intentionally on mission, not only loving our brothers and sisters in the church, but also engaging and loving our neighbors. One last story as I close. <clears throat> Rosaria Butterfield, she is a, a former tenured professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University, and she's married to, to Kent. He's a Reformed Presbyterian pastor in North Carolina. She's also a homeschool mom, an author, and speaker. And she converted to Christ back in 1999 in what she describes as a, as a train wreck. Now, many of you might have known her from her memoir, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. It details her very difficult journey. Some of you may have read her story. But recently, I finished reading her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, which I consider the best book I've ever read on the power of Christian community to strengthen the church and to reach our lost and hurting neighbors. It convicted me. It educated me, but most of all, it inspired me. And I, I can't recommend enough. I think it's essential reading for the moment that we're in. It's written in a memoir style where she, uh, she tells her, her adventures, oh, oh, kind of like a, a diary, different days. But the, the theme of her book is what she calls radically ordinary hospitality. And what she means is this. It's, it's using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors the family of God. 
it's a lifestyle uh, of open invitation where there's always soup, fresh bread, and, and a pot of coffee available to everyone. And one of the main people that we meet in this book is her neighbor, Hank, who, who's an older gentleman. He, he's very odd. He, he's very reclusive. Um, he, he doesn't talk. When he, when he moves to the neighborhood, the Butterfield family welcome him and, and take him some, some gifts. And, and after they leave uh, from visiting his door, he, he takes off his doorbell so he can't be bothered anymore, right? <laughs> I mean, he's just an odd guy. And there's no contact for months until one day um, his dog turns up missing. And, and the Butterfield family, all of them, all the kids, they go around. It's kind of a rural area. Uh, and they, they, help, they help find his dog. And from then, they became really fast friends. Um, Hank was able to use his, his mechanical skills to help fix things. He'd go in the woods and help boys find hawks. And he, he starts to come to life, and they learn that he, he's an Army veteran. Uh, he suffers from really bad PTSD, uh, depression, and it turns out that he, he's, he's very fragile, right? But he'd, he'd become like family to the Butterfields, sharing holidays and meals, and this, this went on for years. And then one day, early in the morning when Rosaria is having her devotions, her, her phone starts blowing up with text, telling her to look across the street, and then she looks across the street through her window, and she sees that Hank's house has been surrounded by emergency vehicles and police. And it turns out that Hank had been operating one of the, the largest meth labs in the Durham, North Carolina area. And if you know anything about that, it's a very dangerous situation. It can explode. The fumes are very toxic. And all of a sudden, the Butterfields, the Christians in the neighborhood, were judged by their neighbors. You must have known. How could you not know? Were you in on this? Were you getting money from this? And they had a choice to make. Their Christian witness was on the line. And they could have easily said, oh no, he's a bad guy. We, we knew it all along. And they could have moved on with their life. But Christian fellowship doesn't write people off when things get difficult. Right? right? <laughs> Instead, they pressed further in and stuck with Hank through the pain. And then months later, around this time of year, it was January, there was snow, uh, and so they decided to have a home worship service and invite all their neighbors. And then um, the once and very angry and judgmental neighbors began to ask about Hank. And, and Kent Butterfield shares um, how jail is, is breaking Hank. He, he's scared, he, he's lonely, he's isolated, he's sick from the meth detox, and he's, he's got no earthly hope. But he's got Jesus as his Lord and Savior. <clears throat> and Rosaria explains the scene. <clears throat> she says, Kent is speaking softly now. In the room, once bursting with talk and laughter, is captive in silence. Ken explains that Hank is no longer the meth addict across the street, but a brother in the Lord. That captures the gospel in real time. It's hard to explain what happens to a community when the local drug addict commits his life to Jesus. But I suspect you can imagine it changes everything. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, I'm coming to you, Holy Father, 
Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The fellowship that we see here in Acts 2 is a fulfillment of what Jesus prayed in John 17. See, there is an attractiveness to seeing the fellowship living out our faith together, life on life. It gives hope to the hopeless. It can give family to the stranger. It can give healing to the broken. But most of all, it can offer salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fellowship is not just history from 2,000 years ago. It's alive today. And we get to be part of this fellowship that is generous, that is unified, and is growing. That is the fellowship of the King. Let's pray. Mm. Father, we, we praise you, God for your word, for your spirit, God. And we thank you, God, that you've saved us, not just individually, but God, you've saved us into a family of faith. And Father, right now, I pray that by your spirit, you would do something amazing, something miraculous right now in, among your people. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. And I pray this all in the strong and powerful name Jesus. We're going to respond with communion in just a moment, but before we do that, I really feel on my heart that we need to take a moment, take a minute just between you and the Lord, and I really feel a burden that, that there are people here in this room who have conflict, damage relationship with other believers, or maybe it's in your family, maybe it's in a marriage, maybe it's between parent and child, whatever it is, today's the day where God wants to, he wants to intervene. So just take a, take a minute and take that to the Lord. And then just a minute, I'll, 